Listen to Ink Studs, and our guest this week is Chip Sadarsky. I didn't actually ask how to pronounce it because I don't care. It's not wow. your real name. Wow. It is a real name, though, because I stole it from a friend's ex girlfriend. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's like. It's like she takes she takes his like Walkman, and you're just like, you know what? I'm taking her last name. This was a situation How where long ago would have to been to have a Walkman. I was gonna say a Walkman. Wow. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know what the kids are doing. <laughs> hey, Brenda Graham here. Just came in from the '80s. Just wandered off with her Zune. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, no, she was like she was awesome, and he broke up with her over like a dumb reason, and we were all so upset with him that I actually took her last name. 
in memoriam to the relationship. So That's I would beautiful. always remind him of the one that got away. Is he single? No, no. I mean, this is so long ago now. Like, she's married in Las Vegas with a couple of kids, and he's married with a couple of kids in Toronto. So Both loveless marriages, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm not married, no kids. So I don't know. I don't know who won <laughs> all that. <laughs> Do you have a cat? I do have a cat. That so, counts. Yeah, it's fun. What's your cat's name? Monster Truck. Monster Truck. Yeah, yeah. It was my girlfriend's, um, it was her cat when I came into the relationship. And uh, some, like, friend of hers, boyfriend named the cat Derrida after the French philosopher because he was just, like, a douchebag. And uh, That is just, like, the French philosopher on diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I met the cat, it was Derrida. And at some point... We just started calling him Monster Truck because he just kind of comes at you like a monster truck. And nice. Yeah. He's what do you What do you call the cat for short? Um, geez, there's like a dozen fucking nicknames. Monster's just like the basic one, but That's like. That's good. So Chip is in Vancouver for mm. VanCaf, the Vancouver Comic Arts Festival. Ooh. Uh, we've been talking about doing this interview for uh, pretty much since around when we interviewed uh, your. Um, your chum, my chum, on good sex chum. criminals, Mr. Fraction. Yeah. Uh, that was when Brandon and I did our road trips, and we were in Portland for an especially sweaty weekend. It was very hot. Yeah, I don't like the heat. How many people did you? I forget. Like talk to in Portland? Just all of them. Yeah, that no, was it. Was pretty. It was Just pretty light. Matt Kelly Sue, Bob Shrek, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a good one. Lynn Weissel and <laughs> Sean Christensen. Yeah, Brandon was hyped for the Shrek one. He like the night before. He's just like I don't. What I'm gonna complain about first? Yeah, it was really it was interesting because after I've gotten people messaging us being like, Shrek clearly doesn't want to talk about these things you're trying to talk to him about. And I was like, yeah, that's how an interview works. <laughs> but you're, you're nice about it too. Like you I weren't like, like yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I think that's something that I really enjoy in comics is when you really can respect someone and disagree with them. Mm-hmm. Like it was interesting. I said a lot of things on stage. In TCAP, I realized when I have a microphone in front of me, I'll say mean things sometimes. But it was weird because I had no, like, I felt like I said something like, like I said kind of a, a mean jab in Marvel Comics to you, but I felt like oh, I, no, didn't no, have to, no. I didn't have to worry about you being offended about it because I feel like you know that I like your work and that, that I think that you do choices that are good for you. And so it wasn't like, I was like, I can make fun of Marvel all I want and, and I don't think Chip will take it as a jab at him. No, not at all. And, like, it's such a different thing in person than it would be like if you read the transcript of it it might be like oh I don't know these maybe these guys went at it or something right. but like not at all like yeah I was totally fine with that That's I don't cool. even remember what the jab was what was the jab oh it was we were talking you were talking about how you didn't it didn't matter to you uh, Marvel stuff because you can make more money over it yeah 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 and I said something about like oh wow a company where you can make less money and not be respected <laughs> and not own anything you do <laughs> Oh, I don't even remember what my response was. Was it just crying? It was. It was an hour and a half. Of <laughs> David Brothers just holding me, no. rocking. You, you weren't paying attention to me because you were like you're counting out your royalty checks. <laughs> yeah. You're like I can't hear you over this sex criminals money. Yeah. Was there any discussion when sex criminals coming together that I guess sex didn't exist at, at Image yet? Do you no. mean as a comic or as a concept? As a concept. As a concept. <laughs> yeah, I forget. Like I think sex. Sex, I think, came out before us, but we'd already been working on the comic. Okay. And, like, Matt had the title pretty much locked. I think it might have been one of those things where the title came first and then mm-hmm. the idea maybe happened afterwards. Um, 
I mean, but yeah, we we never we never talked to like I think Matt and Joe was it Joe Casey on the mm-hmm. sex. Like I think they were friends at some point. I don't know if they're still in touch. I don't know if there was any discussion between them over right. like, hey, we're the we're the sex guys now. Yeah, we're all the sex guys because <laughs> sex is basically it's like it's like retired Batman sex. Basically, is what it should okay. be called. I haven't read it. It's retired Batman. It's basically Batman retires. Yeah, and he's never been a human being because he's been Batman. Okay. And so it's like it's like, and basically like, the character who is, um. Alfred essentially it was like his dying thing is like Bruce I'm dying now but y'all need to get your fuck on (laughs) (laughs) and so it's eventually I think it's like 800 issues now of Batman just like really poorly trying to go to glory holes and being like do I just put it in Alfred All right, maybe I, maybe I should read it. Like I, I avoid I avoided reading it. Well, I don't, and it has the same font that Mobius. It's kind of a Mobius okay. font in it, which is weird to me because the art style doesn't look like that yeah. at all. And he does this weird thing where he does blocks of color over just random chunks of text. Oh, that I've heard there's there's it's like it makes sense, and but it's like I'm not trying to fucking figure out the 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 back of the um, what's the Nicolas Cage thing where he flips over the. Constitution. Okay. Yeah, it's like I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to decode the Da Vinci's code to like read an issue of a book called Sex. I'm just like just give me all the answers now. <laughs> that's that's my experience. No patience. With, no patience. Yeah. yeah, I avoided reading it just because I don't I don't know why I thought it might be similar to Sex Criminals. It just had one of the words, but I was still like, oh, I probably shouldn't read it in case like that influences what we're doing. Right. Or, but you read Criminal. Right? But I did read Criminal. Yeah. 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 I feel like criminal is like a it's like a it's like almost like the quintessential competent image book that you like oh, yeah. should be reading just yeah. because it's like well that's a competent image book let's read <laughs> if, if uh that and sean are listening you can use that quote on, yeah, your, yeah. Uh, on your book i mean i really enjoy a competent it, like, image book brandon <laughs> graham yeah no but it's it's, it's, it's on like, twitter now i wonder why yeah, yeah weird no but it's, it's it's almost like um i feel like Bris- i feel like um ed and phillips yeah, Brubaker. Brubaker. Yeah, not Brisson. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're. Uh, that's almost like their strength. This is. I don't know if it says it's as much a compliment to them as a like a jab to everyone else in comics. It's just like man, what a what a competent team of writer artists. Yeah, it's so consistently good and on time. Yeah, like it's it's pretty shocking. Yeah, I'm glad it's an image. Just it's. It's nice to have a, a book come out in time. Do you feel like you're because you were kind of I feel like. You and Matt and and Kelly Sue and and the Wicked Divine guys were specifically like, and there's Saga too, but no one reads that. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I feel like you guys were like specifically the, um, like almost like the new wave of Image. Yeah, I, I think maybe in hindsight, like at the time I wouldn't say that. Like, but I was also just kind of caught up in it. Like now that it's kind of like, eased off, and I'm an old man now. Three years later, I can yeah. look back and go, okay, yeah, that's. There's definitely something happening um, during that period. I, I don't know if I can define it, though. Like, it was kind of like, well, I mean, with Matt and I, was. Um, Matt was giving up in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, he'd gone through the Marvel machine, and um, he was. There was a feeling like he was on his way out. Then Hawkeye hit. Right. Which is kind of like just a crazy confluence of things to make that happen. Um, but Eric wanted him over at Image, and 
Matt was just like, all right, here's just this crazy ass idea. It's not going to last. Like, like him and I were just doing a book for each other and, and both of us agreed talking it through on the phone that it was only, only going to last three issues and then mm-hmm. it'll just get the plug pulled. Which is interesting because I don't think it even hits the stride of what it's about until no. quite a while later. No, I know. It's, it's a, it's a weird book and, um, you know, Matt always says that it reads like a book that, um, was only supposed to last five issues and then had to figure itself out <laughs> and then it became something else. Huh, that's interesting. Because uh, in selling it to people, I'm always like, you know, it, it's such a kind of flippant, fun book and then it gets like, it hits really personal once yeah. it gets going. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of that ha- happened because of the initial success of it. Like, we knew what was going to happen through the first five issues. That, that, that we kind of figured out. Um, but then it became such a thing. Like, I think by issue four, we were... It always sounds like a brag, but it's a thing that happened. It was like we were Time Magazine Book of the Year. Right. Um, and I think Matt uh, was giddy with it. Like, we were both just, like, giggling on the phone. Like, our dick joke is Book of the Year. <laughs> yeah. But also, it was like, oh, shit. Now what? Like, what do you do? So there's a huge... Um, there's a gap between five and six as Matt kind of, I think, struggled a bit with that. And uh, what does this book become? And um, and issue six was like basically about depression right. and Plus coming I, through the other end of it. I imagine it's got to be, I mean, at the same time, if you're sharing a house with Kelly Sue DeConnick, who's mm-hmm. essentially doing like, um, you know, like, like headlining a feminist movement in comics, yeah. it's got to be really hard to be like, Let's just do something wacky. Like it, you, I can't see how you couldn't at least think about kind of the. Yeah, yeah. They they both have similar mindsets, um, but there's there's an interesting thing that happens too. Like, they do their milk fed panels. Mm-hmm. They get like Heroes Con and Emerald City Con, and which is a smart move because it's kind of like, uh, why do all these separate little panels? We can have one big panel about all of our projects and stuff. Right. And I've been on a couple of those, and um, they're both a lot of fun and also wildly uncomfortable because of the uh, the tonal shift. Like, like Kelly Sue will just get like riled up, and like, you know, the audience is there, and she's there emotionally, and they're like talking about the patriarchy, and you know, and I'm like, I'm starting to get choked up by the stories right. and like the feeling, and then and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, and over in Sex Criminals. So you've got a you've got a cum fairy coming up in the book. <laughs> um, let's talk about that for a bit. I'm like, oh god, like <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Uh, all the stuff that must go on in their their household. Yeah, the conversations beautiful. that they have. I don't and then know. They I, have kids running around too, which makes it even. I stayed at their house. Don't read the cum fairy script. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I stayed at their house. Uh, was it last year? I got together with Matt to like kind of plan stuff out, and I was there for a week and. It's just a machine. Like, I'm so used to just living with my girlfriend and my cat. And then right. I go there, and they're in the middle of the woods, and they had the Monday morning meeting, which is like, you know, Matt and Kelly Sue. I was there. The managing editor's there. The personal assistant is there. Like, Ms. Wendy, who gets the kids off to school, yeah, is there. The mayor of, yeah, the, the two The two interns that they have are there. And they're there all day. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a madhouse. It's insane. And they have their separate workspaces, too. Like, yeah. Kelly Sue's is very uniform and very specific looking mm-hmm. and then Matt's is like the lounge yeah it's, it's actually like, inside of a bong yeah I kind of I set up in the lounge to do work the lounge area and so Matt's there and like at the time like 
the managing editor had this, her station there as well, and the interns would come through. I'm just like, this is, like, I'm just so used to sitting in a garage by myself. Like, the feeling here is of constantly churning. You used to work in a studio yeah. with other folks. Yeah, and uh, I'd say around 2000, like, uh, before the start, we were talking about Kagan McLeod, the artist in Captara. Mm-hmm. Of the Clan McLeod. Of the Clan McLeod. Uh, you still haven't seen that movie. Really? Yeah. What? I know. Just I, just, I just found that out at TCAP. He's like, you know, I've never actually seen Highlander. Like, Is it just because abuse he suffered in school? I think so. You know, Scott McCloud's name is spelled that same way, but he, in comics, spells it cloud like the cloud because... Nobody makes that joke with Scott McCloud either because they cannot imagine him in a kilt murdering someone. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah, people pronounce it McCloud in America. Okay. Yeah, and like, I know King gets that as well. Um, but anyways, like we uh, we went through Sheridan together. We were kind of like a year apart, and after school, um, he started doing Infinite Kung Fu, which was his own kind of personal, fun kung fu exploitation comic. It just came out as a giant brick when it did, right? No, he issues. was doing individual issues, and actually okay. the first two issues he did all digital. And when I mean digital, like vector, hmm. like he did an Illustrator, he point and click, oh, wow. and draw all the lines. And it's a very different. He style. just typed math into a computer. Yeah, yeah, like it's, 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 they're, they're really interesting to look at, but not at all fun and interesting like the stuff he does now. So did you and him have any idea that you would be doing comic books when you were first met each other? No, we didn't know that we, uh, like at Sheridan College, it was the illustration program, they kind of beat comics out of you, like Mm -hmm. right away, like your portfolio to get in, like it states in the uh, portfolio guidelines, do not show us comic book work, do not show us fantasy work. We don't want to see no fucking wizards, you know. <laughs> if you're having fun, go sit in the corner. Yeah, draw plants, draw people in coffee shops. That's what we want to see, which I get in hindsight. But at the time, I was like, what? All right. Yeah. And so it was kind of beaten out of us, really. Uh, and then separately when we left school, I started to do a comic strip for a university paper. And Kagan started working on Infinite Kung Fu. And... Um, we both kind of put out our comics at the same time. Mine was Prison Bunnies and his was Infinite Kung Fu. And nice. We would just do shows together and just have fun. And at some point I was like, I needed a studio space and I knew Kagan wanted one. Um, I had an illustrator friend, Ben Shannon, who went to Sheridan as well and he wanted one. That's amazing. We arranged to all get together at a local bar, which is the first time I'd officially met him and we got along like right off the bat and mm-hmm. you know, you're like 23, 24 at the time and um, you just feel like you can do whatever and like so we just got a studio space and joint account to take care of that stuff and oh, nice. and uh it lasted three years i think with all of us and then people would move out and right, eventually cameron felt the pole over to england or whatever over germany or something yeah he ended up you know in germany and scotland montreal i forget the order but um but the studio just became something else after we left because Ramon Perez came in towards the end oh, nice. and they kind of moved the studio to a bigger space now there's like 14 people in there I think like it was just the four of us and um, we all get the original members get a little angry that there's no like oil portraits of us yeah. hanging the hell yeah <laughs> there was like a documentary it was like some like AT&T sponsored thing about the Royal Academy uh-huh. of Illustration Design which is what it was called and, um, you know, talking to Ramon and Marcus Toe and Francis Manipal in the studio and like 
cross cut with like interviews with Stan Lee just generally about comics and mm-hmm. Alisa Milano because she wrote one of the comics. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we, I, I don't think you can really talk about comics without bringing in Alyssa Milano. No, you can't, yeah. But it was like this whole documentary on it and like none of us were mentioned, none of the original guys. I was so angry. Sons of bitches. Yeah, they need to respect yeah. where they came from. <laughs> I like that you, I imagine that you, um, that was like a joke name that now was taken seriously. Yeah, yeah, we had three names in contention for it. So we will end up going with Royal Academy of Illustration Design. We designed a crest for it, and nice. we liked the shortened raid, um, which resulted in phone calls from a lot of parents wanting nice. to enroll their kids in our studio. Oh, that's good. Also, I just, like, you could answer the phone. Raid! Raid! Well, we had, the, the two other ones were, we were all Wesley Snipes fans, so mm-hmm. it was going to be called Wesley Snipes Illustration. Oh, I like that. And then it was also during a period, this all dates us, because it was during the period where um, Mel Gibson's movie Ransom mm-hmm. was in theaters. I had never actually seen the movie, but I love the commercials. Cause he Is just, that the Bring Me Back My Son? Yeah, he goes, Give Me Back My Son! Yeah. And so we were going to call ourselves Give Me Back My Son Studios. Yeah, I like that. Just so we could answer the phone yeah. like that. <laughs> Give Me Back My Son Studios! That's beautiful. Chip speaking. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. That's funny, I just found out at TCAP, I did a panel with um, Brian Lee O'Malley, and Kagan and Leslie from Snot Girl and uh, and Mal said that uh, he came to uh, our first raid event, which was like an art. Well, that show. also dates you calling him Mal. Like, yeah, because I was doing that at the show too. Like Mal was his like cool 1999 internet yeah, name, yeah. and now you meet people and they'll call him like Mr. Ryan and Mr. Just, O'Malley. Yeah, just like, oh, you mean Mal dot com? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I never thought of it. But I guess, I guess um, Brian Lee O'Malley came to our event, and this is before Scott Pilgrim, and he was saying on the panel, he's like, yeah, I got there, and I thought you guys were the coolest guys in the world. <laughs> and like, I have photos from that period, which is like skinny 20-year-olds with like suits that are too big, pretending nice. to be like running an art gallery. <laughs> right, just talking heads. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like fun, though. I mean, it was a great period. I miss it. Like, I miss having a studio. I don't know, do you work by yourself? I, I tend to work by myself, yeah. but I uh, like to crash other people's studios, which is really fun. Yeah. Because then you get, like, all the joy of the camaraderie, but you don't have to, like, Pay deal rent? with... Yeah. <laughs> we were yes. talking about this earlier. What, what? me not paying rent? Yeah. What do I you owe do you? do a good job. You don't owe me nothing. Yeah. Maybe some Kickstarter rewards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to settle down eventually, but yeah, i got the road calling me now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but there's a Canadian TV show called The Littlest Hobo, Mm. and Brandon is the, like, (laughs) crime-solving dog. The opposite, like, of a furry version. It's like the human version. It's still kind of furry. Yeah. Nothing like a furry version. (laughs) Nothing like a furry version. (laughs) I heard a story recently where somebody... I can't even tell the story at all. (laughs) Sorry. So, um, you're doing some comics at that point in the early raid days. Yeah, yeah. Raid, uh, raid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was self-publishing um, Prison Funnies, which was kind of, it was a university strip that was done on a dare. Every week I'd basically send them a thing in thinking they would cancel it, and they just kept And it was all them. jokes that I do with prison, right? Yeah, it was all characters in prison. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing you do in your early 20s that I probably wouldn't do now in my 40s. We're not going to see, like, an archival edition of it. I don't know. I've, I've talked to Eric Stevenson about it. Uh, before, like doing like a, like an omnibus. I've always had the title. What about 
Chip Zdarsky's Modern Masters Volume 1, Chip Zdarsky by Chip Zdarsky, and just like... That'd be amazing. Have you thought about a Bitch Planet crossover? <laughs> I heard everything I do is like crime or prison. Yeah. Like I've got... I did Prison Funnies, and I did Monster Cops, and now I'm doing Sex Criminals. Was Prison Funnies... Was that, was that a Chip Zdarsky book? Yeah. It was the first time I used the name Chip Zdarsky. Okay. Which was... It was mostly because I had a conflict. I was doing freelance work for Globe and Mail illustration stuff but I was also doing some in-house stuff for National Post and um, at one point I did a thing in the National Post slamming the Globe and Mail it was like a Globe and Mail redesign and the Post got me to do an illustration which was like a Globe and Mail box being all tarted up Uh in like a (laughs) stylus chair (laughs) and I got the phone call from my Globe editor just like what the fuck are you doing I'm like what are you talking about you can't you can't slam the paper that your work is in like I have to pull like one of your pieces tomorrow, huh. because it's just too close to this. And I like I sent her flowers and like I felt like I was I threw my career away. And I told her I'm like if I do anything that will um, be bad for you mm. in any way, I'll do it under a pseudonym. And so I came up with Chip Zdarsky, thinking like well that solves that. Right. I'll do anything weird as Chip. And then I did my own comic, and then I started to do like zine shows in Toronto, and I was interviewed on TV about it. And I guess but that same editor. Mm-hmm. She told me that she was like at home brushing her teeth, and all of a sudden she just heard my very distinct nasally voice, and she like looked in the other room, and it's just me on TV with the name Chip Zdarsky underneath talking about my prison right. comic. She's like Steve. So she's like, "What is that?" I'm like, "Well, it's actually your fault, so it's <laughs> fine." I'm all, I, that brings up some interesting points though, because there is the idea of like if you're working at a place that is steeped in the idea of journalistic integrity, mm-hmm. you'd think that they would welcome. <laughs> Um, on some level, you'd think they'd at least be aware that somebody doing something critically about them while working for them almost um, added to that integrity. Oh, it was such a weird time in Canadian newspapers. Like Just was, like the verge of the fall apart? It was, no, it was like, because this is like 2000, 2001, and so National Post had just basically came out. And Conrad Black was still funding it, and the parties. Lord were, Conrad Black. Lord Conrad Black, sorry. Mm-hmm. And the parties were huge, and just just the money flowed like. It was just crazy. It was crazy times. Scrooge McDuck money. Yeah, and the Globe hated them, and the mm-hmm. Post hated the Globe, and it was like an actual like intense rivalry between those right. two papers, and so any anyone like doing work for the other was like super frowned upon mm. back in the day. Like now, it doesn't matter, but yeah. Interesting. So sure. that's because. Nowadays, to like get a gig for a newspaper is yeah. unheard of. No, I mean you could. I think you could probably easily get a gig at a newspaper now because they have nobody. Like you just wouldn't get paid well. Like that's yeah. the thing. Like I wasn't paid poorly. Like I was. My my job at the National Post when I got there was doing uh, information graphics, uh, maps, charts, drawings of tanks, blowing things up, like stock charts. Tanks like that. taxes on the side of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish. I dreamed of doing those. <laughs> that was the problem. And, you know, you get, like, a flat rate for the day of being there and praying that breaking news didn't hit because you'd lose your mind. Um, and then, yeah, and then you take that money, you pay your rent, and you do your comics. So that's what I was doing, and that was what Kagan was doing, too. He was also at the National Post doing the same thing. Oh, nice. So you worked there through 9-11. Yeah, but I had the day off. <laughs> so nothing to talk about there. I was I was still relatively new at that point. Um, so I think I think Kagan was in and like 
uh, I think I did made a call and I'm like, should I come in? And like, they didn't even have enough computer for me to really come in and help. So yeah. that was. That was That's fun. the best 9-11 story. <laughs> so I just drew a sad airplane at home. I didn't have the day off, yeah. Uh, <laughs> going back to the, what we were talking about before about kind of, um, I'm interested in, in uh, like like your humor and, and kind of your public humor that you do feels very casual, but kind of, um, like it feels like you've got rules that you're... Yeah. I think a lot of that stemmed from the newspaper. Mm-hmm because um, I learned quickly working at the newspaper when I, when I started to pitch humor stuff and get actual words and, and not just like stock charts, that there are rules. There are rules that I had to follow within the newspaper structure. Um, the most common one was what if Doug's kid see these? Mm-hmm. And Doug was the uh, editor-in-chief. Doug, the kid on Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, masses of bastard children everywhere or there was like a particular reader that would send in like a lot of like mean letters and I won't say her name out loud but like it, they had like a but a sign up what would Sandra blah 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 right. say and you'd always have to think about those readers and you think about the editor in chief like I did I did one thing there was um, I was covering the film festival so every year you just lose your mind in Toronto you have to like be up all night trying to break into parties and come up with some sort of story for the next day. Right. And um, one of them was held at Wicked, which was the sex club in Toronto. Like, mm-hmm. This is the best. Like, I, I kind of went in guns blazing and I had like the best night and got so many great stories. Like, because it's all media types, and I was like, it's like no one's actually fucking, so right. that's unfortunate because um, it's like a film party. But there's a full hot tub here and no one's using it so I like I stripped down and gave my editor my clothes I got in the hot tub and like I became the centerpiece of the party like people were just like oh my god this like journalist got in the hot tub and Scott Speedman of Felicity fame uh, (laughs) he saw me what did he do is he an actor on Felicity yeah and uh, he's a super hunk he's he's a bunch of movies too but Mm -hmm. I don't remember them and um, does Scott Speedman wear a speedo (laughs) no I didn't even think to ask I, it, he saw me in the tub. I think his agent notified him there's something happening over here. And he just started laughing and he came up to me and he's like, Man, you got balls. I can't believe you're doing this. I'm like, oh, whatever. It's a nice hot tub. He's like, Get in, Speedman. He's like, Oh, no, I can't. He's like, I can get you a drink, though. He's like, Jack and Coke. And so he brought me a drink and I interviewed him on the spot. So nice. like, it became like this great night where I was able to like interview people. Did you end up having sex with him? I wish. There's a photo of the two of us. I grew a porn stash just for this nice. night, too. So I'm all slick like a weird, like, seal. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just, like, rippling beautiful muscles just laughing at me. Yeah. I'll show you the photo. It's oh, quite nice. But um, but uh, I did a comic about it. And it ran the next day or two days later. And uh, I got a call to come into the editor-in-chief's office which is kind of nightmarish, but also, like, I love the idea. Right. Kind of growing up on, like, Spider-Man comics, like Peter Parker getting right. called into J. Jonah Jameson's office. Like, and he had a cigar and a flat top. Yeah, which never made sense to me. Even Where as a kid. are you too sexy? <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> I, I went in, and he, like, pulled out my piece. And part of the piece showed the owner humping his wife yeah. on stage. They had, like, a car on stage, which was their DJ booth. Mm-hmm. And I, I talked about him grinding her. Mm-hmm. 
and I showed like little, you know, little action lines by his butt to denote oh, yeah. the grinding. As you do. And he, I, I sat down, the other, and she's just like, Murray, this time you've gone too far. Um, we're getting complaints <laughs> from like schools, because like the National Post had a program with schools where they, <laughs> they put these in the classrooms oh, sure. to, you know, encourage literacy. And we got into a bit of a debate because I'm like, there's nothing in this comic that is any worse than any of the stories you've done about this sex club. Right. Like, they've detailed things far more graphically. Also, if you don't want raw sex, maybe you don't hire Steve Murray. Uh, yeah, there's that. So I was like, you know, you, I think you're unfairly coming at me because this is a comic. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, yeah, I am, because kids will read the comics. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the word grinding and the butt lines. But it felt like, uh, yeah, it felt awesome. Because it was just like a scene in like a... Uh, like a cop movie where you're called in, like you gone too far, Maverick, turn in your gun, mm -hmm. or like I said, J. Jonah Jameson yelling at Peter Parker, which was like, right. why would like he? Why would he yell at a beat with the newspaper? Just like, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, why is he yelling at a photographer? All I time? know, but then I became that guy. Like I became like I had this like weird friendship rivalry with like the editor in chief, who later became the publisher, uh -huh. where I just be get called into his office to like give my notes on my weird joke ideas like running for mayor became like a whole thing oh yeah yeah like it, it yeah it it was a lot of fun like it was a conservative newspaper but we still managed to just do dumb shit and enjoy our time there so something i said to you before too that i think is is interesting is just how dramatically different the idea of it being a conservative canadian newspaper is versus being like a conservative american newspaper yeah yeah, and also, like, when you're actually within those newspapers, probably the same in uh, the States, the staff is still 90% lefties. Right. And the 10% that aren't get shuffled over to the opinion section yeah. or end up being your bosses. And you're like, oh, okay, all right, here's the headline. Taxes, they're crazy. Like, right. Okay. Um, but the National Post felt like Canada's largest student newspaper. Yeah. Um, because you just were allowed to do whatever you wanted. Like, they were more libertarian, I'd say. Like, they kind of like pushing the boundaries a little bit, not right. as much as I did with my butt lines and my, <laughs> my grinding. But they let us basically do whatever we wanted, which was fun. Um, and it taught me about the, the, the kind of boundaries um, uh, that kind of carried over to other aspects of my work Do and like and online because like online I don't have like hard and fast rules but I definitely have a uh, I've got a 10 second delay before I hit send okay yeah I and think that's the big one because I'm wondering about you do so much stuff um, live now you know like interviews and panels and things yeah. and you do so much kind of off-the-cuff jokes I'm wondering because I always have the instances where I'm just like I'll make a joke and and then and then you're immediately in front of an audience, you realize, and you're like, oh, that's... That's that's I'm, for the world now. <laughs> that's for the world now. And I'm wondering if you have had any moments where you've kind of hit that, where you're just like, oh, that Spider-Man joke that I made maybe wasn't the most appropriate thing, that I'll hear about that again. Um, not that often. Sometimes things will come back to bite me in the ass, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I should have thought of that. But It feels very purposely not mean always. Well, I think I said this on the panel, too. Like, the big thing I learned at the newspaper was if you're going to start poking fun, make sure you're the butt of the joke, mm -hmm. ultimately. Like, you can po poke fun at the crazy things happening around you, but you're also an idiot. Like, oh, what am I doing here? Um, 
and all the humor in the newspaper kind of revolved around that. I became a character in the newspaper. Right, which definitely went on to your to your comic work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like the joke of me working at Marvel is what? Why? How could Marvel hire me? Like, and then and still keep you, and still keep me. And it's funny, like you actually, there comes a point where I have to stop and reconsider things because, um, for C two E two, I made a joke online about this, and then I actually applied for it, and I was going to do a panel called um, "Why I Should Write Batman" by Chip Zdarsky, mm-hmm. and the idea was I was going to get on stage with a PowerPoint going through all my terrible uh-huh. Batman ideas. And I was going to have, like, Mark Doyle and Scott Snyder, whoever, show up. And yeah. I really just want Mark Doyle, who's the Batman editor, like, sitting on the stage. And every time I go through an idea, he just shakes his head no. Uh-huh. <laughs> to me, that was, like, a hilarious idea. Right, but now it becomes this, this thing where it's, like, you could write Batman. That's the problem. So, like, I, I put in the request, and I was like, oh, this is going to be funny. And they, they wrote back, like, this is approved. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just send us, you know, the rest of your details. And I was, like, thinking about it. And then they announced Spider-Man. And I was thinking about it again I was like oh shit they just announced Spider-Man like now I'm just gonna seem like a greedy fuck <laughs> like I'm gonna go up on stage like sure I'm writing Spider-Man I should be writing Batman too even if the whole thing's a joke right and I have no interest in writing Batman like it doesn't matter well, like the optics of it change and you're just like right, well, you totally. don't want to be the asshole there's that weird Kevin Smith thing. Like, I find his career really fascinating. It's kind of like a signpost to not to do. not compare me to Kevin Smith. <laughs> well, no, but the, the well we like it when you wear hockey jerseys that go down oh, to your I knees. Know, I know. No, the comparison is interesting because I really enjoyed Kevin Smith when he came out because mm-hmm. I felt that he was an outsider yeah. who was suddenly let in. Um, and, and I think what happened to Kevin Smith is he didn't change at all. So yeah. now he just looks like an entitled asshole because he's still trying to be like hey I'm just like a wacky guy who has millions of dollars and directs movies and owns a comic store and dresses like a toddler yeah and so it's like if you don't evolve um, as you like you, you can't be the new guy always mm-hmm. so I imagine that's kind of what you're going through now it's like you're you you either become the establishment or you um, evolve into something new yeah yeah I'm not sure what the ultimate form of Jim right. Zdarsky is like I'm finding it interesting being at Marvel and when I say being at Marvel I'm a freelancer for Marvel I know that I'm not like you know running anything there but um, do you think there's you try a to you try to do things behind the scenes right. and you try to like um, like I know I'm not um, online getting involved in any kind of controversy that Marvel's wrapped up in and I probably wouldn't before I was at Marvel either because like it's not I mean I, is any of that stuff important to you on any level? Yeah, yeah, it is, but it's also like, well, where, what are my talents, and where am I best served, and how do I affect change? Right. So, um, there are people who have uh, received work at Marvel through me, but it's not a thing, like, this is the first time I'd even mention it, because, yeah. you know... I don't want to sound like the guy like, oh, I'm doing all these things behind the scenes at Marvel. But I'd rather be behind the scenes at Marvel trying to, like, talk editors into more interesting projects or um, or at Archie talking to them about treating a creator better or something like that. Yeah, like, like, yeah, I think that's the stage where I'm at right now because I'm 41. Right. And I imagine that feels more... I mean, the interesting thing is, is that versus talking about it on the Internet. Yeah, that's a very thing because because I do feel like the conversation on the internet's it's 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 
especially in comic books, it's it feels very ill-informed, and then also the people that are actually professionally doing it seems to be informed by the people who are ill-informed, and it becomes this yeah horrible and and the intentions are often all very good yeah but but how things how change is brought about and how things are actually yeah i mean i I think online stuff is important as well i think the discussion should be had Um, sure but i think it depends on the point you're at in your life and your career like where your voice comes into that and and what form it takes i heard someone from someone from someone (laughs) Um, talk about how there was like the amount of stuff you see online it doesn't a lot of the like people bashing and conflict doesn't affect anything I think it affects things more now and it will continue to affect things just that like particularly speaking within like the more mainstream situations of the sales Mm -hmm. and things like it doesn't Right, have right. the impact that folks are thinking. Well, I mean, it's it is. Yeah. I, I know what you're alluding to there, but essentially, <laughs> it's just that Marvel has told creators. I don't know if you experienced this. That it doesn't really matter. Twitter doesn't matter, um, which totally shows why they, um, at least why I'm sec- hearing secondhand from that, yeah. that it's just they're just like, don't worry about it. It doesn't affect sales of books, which really shows because there's lots of talk being like, why doesn't the Captain America writer not say the dumbest things ever on Twitter? And they're just like, well, because it doesn't matter. I think if I think if Marvel is saying that Twitter doesn't matter, they 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 mean the sales, but they also recognize that it does matter in terms of morale of the people that work for them. Oh sure. Like if you know, Creator X is online, just getting uh, told how shitty Marvel is all the time, right. and all these things that they're doing wrong. Some are true, some are not true, maybe. Um, that's bound to have an effect on their relations with Marvel, right. as, or just a, a specific editor, or you know, just the concept of working for them, you know, for for good or ill, I don't know, but yeah, Twitter. I think Marvel sees that Twitter does matter. Right. Maybe it doesn't matter as much to their bottom line of sales, or they don't see it specifically mattering, mm-hmm. like oh. The outrage over X didn't result in X's sales going down, yeah, but maybe it. overall they're seeing an effect exactly. where people are dropping off, or people will drop in based on a thing. And also, I don't know if like Axel Alonso saying something is the same thing as like the guys actually in the trenches doing the marketing and, yeah. and dealing dealing with retailers, what they're gonna think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's so many layers to it, yeah. and like I'm, again, I'm not away from that. Oh yeah, yeah. something I want to. Sure, sure, yours. but like it's. I mean, I'm fascinated by it because I, I, obviously, you know, I'm working for the company, so I'm, I'm invested in, um, continuing to work on the projects that I do do for them. Right. Um, it's tricky because. My previous experience was working at the newspaper. It was a conservative newspaper, and there were people there that I'm just like, I don't agree with anything they say. Mm-hmm. But then when we're hanging out at the water cooler, we're the nicest person, and we, we get along. And um, I'd, I'd have to go to parties where somebody would you know, ask what I do, and I'd say what I do. And because I'm in Toronto, there would invariably be a guy who would chime in, oh, you work for the Nazi Post. And I'd have to be like, uh, you know, it's actually not quite that bad. <laughs> like, I know you like to throw that term around, but it's not quite that bad. And then, 
you know, you spend your time defending it, and right. you have to recognize that, okay, I'm separate from that. Like, I'm separate from Marvel. I'm separate from National Post, even though, you know, I derive income from it. It's tricky. It's, it's always going to be tricky. At least with image stuff, it's like, I don't know, if somebody does, like, some shitty thing in one of the image comics, there's, there's an arm's length there because it ultimately falls to the creator and not to the company. Right, right. And that is something very interesting. Um, do you feel like your audience is very different when you do mainstream work versus your... Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting because like when, when I started doing Howard, I would notice it, 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 it would move one way for me. Like some mm -hmm. Sex Criminals readers would check out Howard because they like me and they like the stuff I do in, on Captar Sex Criminals. Right. But the reverse probably wasn't going to happen. I, I haven't had anyone go... Oh, I loved your stuff in Howard, so I checked out Sex Criminals. Um, I think that changes over time. Like, once you actually build, like, a following at Marvel, like, you know, Rick Remender or, right. or Matt like, or Kelly Sue, then, like then that transfers back over to yeah. Image. But you and, you and you know, kind of within the, almost, like, within the kind of Image central family almost of, yeah. like, you know, say the Wicked Divine guys, you and Matt and Kelly Sue and, you know, Emma Rios and all those guys within that clique, it's almost like... It's it's got a level of inclusiveness that you don't get in a lot of other places in comics. It seems like you've worked fairly hard to maintain. I'm wondering if that, um, like that's something I, that I personally really enjoy in comics is that I feel that you can create your own audience, mm -hmm. and then you hear stories about guys that work for Marvel where guys will wait in line to just tell them like, by the way, your run on Moon Knight sucked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause I gotta really respect the guy that waits in line to say that. Oh yeah, for sure. Props to Moon Knight guy, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's something that I'm having to prepare myself for doing mm -hmm. Spider-Man now, because the day that they announced this, that Spider-Man comic, that's when I got like a dozen anonymous messages on Tumblr from I'm gonna say guys. Uh, <laughs> <Moon> <laughs> whoa, whoa, guys. whoa, 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 <laughs> basically telling me all the things that I need to fix. Yeah. And and it's always phrased away like I'm sure you will agree with me yeah. that this thing that has happened to Spider-Man is not good and it needs to be rectified. I mean no disrespect, but you know, yeah. are you the man to do this? And why hasn't he fucked Aunt May? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we've no got Brandon. no Brandon. No, <laughs> no, that won't happen in the first year. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's there's a, there's a different set of expectations because everyone has ownership over the character, right. and more specifically, they have ownership over the character during a certain period of their life. Yeah, which is really fascinating too, because it's like, yeah, when I think of Spider-Man, it's specifically, oh yeah, the '80s guy, mm -hmm. and, and and it's weird because in part of my brain, I'm like, they still make those. <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's tricky. Like I'm also the '80s guy in yeah. my head. Like my heart belongs to the version of the character that I started reading, started getting into. Um, and I've had to consciously make sure to not just be s a slave to that right? in writing the character. Well, something like Jughead where you've like kind of, it's almost like, like my impression of your Jughead is you're taking these things that do not make sense and being like, all right, what, how do we make this character make sense in, in kind of your version of it? Yeah. Is that accurate at all? Yeah, well... The Jughead thing came about, obviously, because Mark Wayne and Fiona Staples rebooted Archie. Mm -hmm. and they rebooted Archie in a way that made it more, for lack of a better term, realistic, Right. I, I suppose. 
but more my, my favorite. A little more self-aware, almost. Yeah, my favorite kind of Archie stuff was always the um, the fantasy weird stuff, them as superheroes, as spies, things like that. Um, and for me, it was to try to find a way to include that stuff while not kind of breaking what Mark and Fiona were doing on their main mm-hmm. book. Which is like, you know, you get like, again, weird emails and messages from people asking if this is canon because the style feels so different from what Mark and... Right. And I'm like, well, you know, Erica's drawing it, so it doesn't look like Fiona's drawings. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing it, so it's different from Mark's. Like, uh, so was, And also a Jughead point of view is... is I immediately was like... Because I, I have a like level of disdain for Archie comics in general. Yeah. Just because Archie as a character, I have so little interest in. It's <laughs> yeah. just like, hey, this guy's problem is he's in high school and all these girls want to sleep with him. And it's yeah. just like, oh, what are you going to do? There's two girls who want me, but there's this redhead girl too. And it's just like, that's the least relatable thing. There's no one that's ever had <laughs> sex in high school. Ever. <laughs> and no one, you know, the, just the idea of girls outwardly like being attracted to one guy. Yeah. And then Jughead's just, I just like burgers. You know? <laughs> Well, you just summed it up. That was amazing. Yes, um, I get that. But it was really fascinating to read to read your version of it, where you actually <laughs> it made sense all of a sudden. And and I loved having the thing in there, like in issue two. I think he does the the time travel mm-hmm. issue. Very kind yeah, of the Bill time and, and like you're the you're the. Well, the the best part about working with Erica on it was, mm-hmm. um, so obviously you know how comics. And solicitation works like we had to have the cover done before the story was actually right. done and so the notes to erica were oh i issue two i'm planning to do like a sci-fi thing she's like you mean jughead's time police I'm like <laughs> i'm like what she's younger than me so like uh time police came out when she was would be young enough to kind of like right. really be into archie stuff and i was in high school when that was happening but they were drawn by like there was like six issues yeah that I had to track down that were like drawn by Gene Colan oh, wow. of all people. Like it's just like Weird. such a strange thing, and he's like trying to emulate the Archie style. Does this relate at all it. to uh, John Claude Van Damme's Time Cop? No, unless well, I'm trying to think when Time Cop came out. Was I'm it, not uh, it. <laughs> did, did, did Jughead's Time Police predate, or did they like? I feel like the Archie people saw that a movie called Time Cop is coming out. They're like, this right. is going to be the biggest hit of all time. It was. We need to put out a Jughead Time Police. Did you enjoy the Gene Colan Time Cops? Um, it gave me a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, cause as I'm reading it, I'm just like, this is Gene Colan. What's he? Why is he doing this? Like, he should he should be retired on mountains of money. Right. Um, so there's that realization of, oh yeah, this is what happens. You know, maybe he enjoyed doing it. Maybe he didn't. Yeah. Maybe it's just like a paycheck. But it was a like, weird choice for art on that. Yeah. And it's just a certain point. Marvel stops calling when you get to a certain age. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like, I did a convention like last year, two years ago, and I, I was in like a van going to the hotel from the show with uh, this one 80s Marvel artist and his wife and. I hadn't heard anything from him in so long. But like, I loved the stuff back then. I was like asking, you know, what's, what have you been up to? And, you know, he's just like, yeah, you know, I bounced around at Marvel and then they just stopped giving me work. Hmm. And then I realized my only skill was drawing Spider-Man and Thor and all these characters. And like, so I had to pick up the, the want ads and kind of figure out my next step. And like, hmm. he got like an entry level into a company doing like computers that he didn't know how to turn on a computer and they taught him and like 
he kind of rose through that company and had a whole second thing and then found out later on that oh you can you can travel with your wife and see a new city and do drawings of Galactus for a hundred dollars right that sounds pretty good and so part of me like listening to that story is like that is so sad but also so not sad at the same time like Mm -hmm. to be able to like have your career and then start over and have a second career and Mm -hmm. then this like third wave as you're older like a lot of old guys that's their income is just doing conventions it's strange too because then you get guys like Walter Simonson who's like such a legend in in comics and then like these days he's essentially doing like going to the core material Mm -hmm. that that Thor came from and and doing his own version of that yeah he was my favorite artist as a kid and like I think he's a case where uh, him and Louise, like I know them. Oh, Louise and Walt. That's right. I think of her as Wheezy, which is Wheezy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that nickname of that woman I've never met. They're like, by all accounts, they are the most beloved people in comics. I think that's accurate. Like nobody's ever had a bad thing to say about them. Um, so many great stories of like generosity and kindness, and um, I think they're okay. I think they do relatively well, mm-hmm. and like the retirement projects of like Ragnarok. That sounds great. Right. Like. Um, that's like that's like the I mean they're rare to have the big the happy story. Of <laughs> yeah, that's the, kind of the the goal for people that that work at Marvel for most of their careers. Is that just like John Byrne hiding in a cave doing Star Trek? It's, it's yeah, he's also yeah, he's comics. also a millionaire. Like that's yeah. the thing. John Byrne did fine. It's hard worrying about John Byrne because you're like yeah. he's a millionaire and an asshole. So <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Farrell Farrell Darwinpo always tells the story about when he. Um, to a class that was Walt Simonson teaching. Oh, and man. Simonson came out and was like, Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Walt. I uh, created a character you might have heard of named Beta Ray Bill. And Farrell's just like, Yeah, we know. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, Why do you think we're here? Was that Rhode Island School of Design? Where was that? I think uh, it was in Manhattan. SBA. SBA, SBA yeah. okay. I, well, I wanted to apply to Rhode Island just because I knew he went there. Nice. I think Masticelli was teaching at RISD before he was teaching SBA. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Walt Simonson. And so Talking good. Heads went to Rhode Island. Oh, there you oh, go. Back to the Talking Heads thing. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Stop making sense. Yeah, I find I find watching. I mean, I think at this point in history of comics, like uh, anyone working for Marvel or DC, if you don't have your eyes wide open, um, I I don't know what to say to you. Like, well, it's hard though because those guys are very easy to spot and kind of becomes kind of sad too in some ways in this yeah. weird way where you're just like what are they going to do afterwards yeah well and that's kind of what sex criminals came out of for matt right like that yeah. was like chips in i mean not chip you specifically <laughs> but, chip, but poker chips chips in yeah you know like yeah let's this is gonna work and save my life or this is it and yeah he was figuring out the next phase and i think that was that wasn't going to be the next phase like i think his next phase was going to be screenwriting yeah they live close enough to LA that I think that was like his plan. He was doing some like some scripts for some things at the time, and Sex Criminals was just going to be fun because he enjoyed comics. Like, right. He still has a love for comics, uh, but then it started a whole new way for him. So yeah, and he also do whatever he wants now. Something I really enjoyed about that kind of group of people I keep mentioning, kind of image resurgence people, yeah. is it it felt very much like you guys were, um, like you guys were doing comics that no one would let you do anywhere else like getting away with something which yeah. I think is something that's almost died down a little bit in comics right now yeah I think I mean I know Wicked and Divine like 
feels like it could fit at Vertigo. It almost feels more retroactively. Like when I read Warren yeah. Ellis's new um, new Wildstorm book, yeah. it felt like it felt to me almost like he was like trying to fit Wilds the Wildstorm characters into a Wicked Divine thing. Yeah, like the character that used to be a stripper is now like a pop star. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It was just yeah. like. Yeah, I mean it's fine. It's like yeah, good good job, old man. Yeah, <laughs> well, image, image, yeah. Like I think it took somebody like Matt who had nothing to lose, um, to pitch that kind of book to Image. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't have worked at any other time, I don't He's think. Like in his career, if it if he if he pitched that a year earlier while he was still doing majority Marvel stuff it would have been wildly different right if he pitched it two years after he left Marvel um, it would be wildly different because he'd be looking for a success right certainly which would change it do you think it's hard for you at all to kind of maintain that feeling of like getting away with something or, or to kind of make everything kind of fun still um I don't know I try to have fun on everything I'm doing uh and that was like Matt's advice to me when I was starting to do work at Marvel was basically you know, because I was just like, I don't know, should I do this? Should I keep doing this? Like, I don't know. And he's like, well, you know, there's two questions. Are you proud of the work you're doing? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think it's solid work. He's like, are you having fun doing it? I'm like, yeah. He's like, we'll keep doing it. If either of those things changes, you know, leave. Right. You know, that's, that's all there is to it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not like, obviously, stuff I do for Marvel isn't as, like, out there as sex criminals. Right. Just by the nature of it. But... Um, I'm still having fun. I feel like I'm still producing fun stuff. In two, three years, I might be too old to like have it be relevant fun stuff. But like, I, I'll I, still like, I love the idea of doing either. irrelevant fun stuff, though. What's that? I love the idea of doing irrelevant fun stuff long after, <laughs> yeah. as long as you're having fun. I'm gonna, did yeah. when you when Howard the Duck was approached, or did you think at all about the kind of creators' rights history of that book? Yeah, um, for sure. It'd be hard to jump right into it without thinking of it. Um, it's it's a weird thing. Like the more I thought about it, whether it was me talking myself into it or not, I was like, I was like, wow, this is one of the only instances of a Marvel book where there was an actual settlement, mm-hmm. where actual money made it back to the creator. Right. Um, so in a way, it kind of freed me up. Freed me up more than if I was doing Captain America, knowing that Kirby never got anything. Okay, that's good. Off of that, um, they actually settled that one. The Kirby one. The no, the Captain America was already was separate from the other Kirby stuff. Oh, the other... Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, but yeah, so I, I know I, I thought about it. I'm also not a believer in the afterlife. So <laughs> if, I if I thought there was like a Steve Gerber <laughs> yeah. ghost going to come after me, I would have probably uh, changed things, but... Yeah, I do feel like that in a weird way. I've had this conversation a lot, and I do feel like oftentimes when it comes to how creators are treated, it really does change a lot if they're alive. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. I'd, I'd, I'd feel like I'd have to, like, contact him or something like that before right. I before I did it. Um, like, like before Watchmen seems to matter so much less if Alan Moore was dead. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And, you know, I also knew, because it's a tricky thing with a character like Howard, because there is a very distinct voice to the character, and it's Gerber's voice. So if I tried to replicate that, I'd feel like I would be doing it a disservice. So I tried to change it in a way to make it kind of a combination it was my voice and his voice and like I think also Joe redesigning the character kind of helped me right. feel like I was um, oh yeah Joe's art on that one's fantastic yeah he's he's amazing he's so good and he stuck around too I think he's only going to do like six issues and then 
We okay. did 16 together, I think. Okay. Because um, we had fun, and we had a good editor, and it was such a closed-off world. Mm-hmm. Like, once in a while, we'd throw Spider-Man in and make fun of him, and we'd have to run that by the Spider-Man office. But otherwise, like, there are no, there's no external pressure working on that book because you are working on Howard the Duck. Okay, you good. are a D-list book, and you can just basically do your fun little fictions. And, yeah, I, I kind of got into... Like, I don't know if you read the whole thing, like, uh, at the end, the ultimate villains of the piece are myself and Joe. Like, I've we kind of, like, came up with an idea where it's like, um, like, Howard's life is shit. Everything, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, the past two years have just been garbage. Like, he keeps running away from things and, like, being the center of attention and, like, why is this? And, like, it turns out there's a planet of creators and, like, we fucking fuck with people's lives, right. too, because the universe can't survive on stagnation and it turns out like Joe and I were on the take uh-huh. from fucking Mojo from the X-Men to make Howard's life shit on the side and like fucking Mojo so like, there's a, there was a whole issue of like I love the idea of bringing Mojo to as like a, the spineless evil guy <laughs> yeah he was so much fun so I you know but almost made saying almost that you're that it's almost, <laughs> I'm, I'm projecting here yeah, yeah, almost, yeah. it does feel like you know, like Marvel Comics, just like the spineless evil yellow guy. No, because like we had the we had the two we had the separation where it was the 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 creator planet that um, you know my editor was in there. Mm-hmm. Tana Hesse Coates was there as like the new guy that I was like jealous of. Uh-huh. Um, like there was a Marvel machine that was happening in which you know we had to stay in our lanes mm-hmm. and I was making the side deal with Mojo okay, nice. to, to, to make to make some money Axel shows up at the end like it's just like it was just ludicrous and at one point like where who names your kids Axel and <laughs> was Guns N' Roses involved was there a thing where just like we could go on about that forever is there right? how much how much whiskey did those parents have see Brandon likes to do this thing like when we were on the road trip and uh, we're interviewing J.H. Williams III and Brandon just grabs his comic I'm, I'm holding a comic right now and like goes to the first page and just starts like complaining about the ads that was <laughs> like <laughs> how can you let your comic have this no, that was ad really for interesting, combos if you're familiar yeah, like, J.H. Williams' work is like so beautiful wildly designed he, he's and publishing detailed. stained glass windows essentially yeah and then you open up this comic that clearly took him like several months to draw, and it has a combos ad. <laughs> it's just like Brandon, combos are kind of amazing. Have you had the seven layer dip one? <laughs> like I would take advantage of the fact, and I'd be like, um, "Can I draw that combos?" Yeah, no. Ad? If you drew the combos ad, the J. H. Williams is on combos ad within yeah. the book. If you got a Neil Gaiman combos ad yeah. in the front. But that's something that you would do. I would not eat those combos then. No, they're they're made they're made. They're like called Mr. Wednesday or something. Yeah. Just mm. good, I, good I, night combos. Did I tell you about the um the image house ad that they gave Matt and I? It was like the second printing second printing of our fourth printing where we did the photo covers. Oh yeah. And uh, on that second printing there was like this bad image house ad. It was like all the original image creators, it was like eyes for innovation and oh, like, yeah had like the headshots of all of them mm-hmm. and they're like 90s Polaroid and then oh, the yeah. group shot I, know those ones. I was like oh this ad's so gross I hate that it's going in the book I get that it has to but yeah. it just doesn't look that good and then so I asked the design guy I'm like can, can you send me that ad 
He sent me the ad, and I, I put Matt just poking in behind Liefeld, and myself <laughs> just peeking in behind McFarland, and didn't tell anyone, just like sent it off to the press. And uh, I have to dig that up again now. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, made, I made my own version of that ad that was, I made one that was um, Eyes for Ironic with um, Canadian superstar uh, Alanis Morissette. Nice, nice. Yeah. That's good. And did they not run it? Oh, it was not made for print. Oh. That was just for that was just for the internet. Um, put it in print. It's so funny. I think mine was. They did one for me at one point. Yeah. that was like irreverent. I was going to say irreverent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I changed it to irrelevant. Because <laughs> you can't like, ho oh, ho, just me being irreverent. I forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, but something else I wanted to touch on too is how. Um, You've managed to really, it's, it feels like in comics now, you know, writers are very much thought of as the voice of it, and, and artists are, I always think about how Frank Quietly is probably the most, I don't know, maybe like the, the biggest name as an artist right now, and I don't know his opinion on anything, because yeah. he's kind of just like, you see his work, and it's all through the work, and then he works collaboratively with people, but you've managed to kind of come into everyone's vision as the artist on a book, and kind of really uh, get your personality out there? Was that a conscious thing at all? No, I mean, Sex Criminals was such a collaboration on every level that, like, we don't, there's no credits on the book. Like, nowhere does it say writer or artist. Like, even though ostensibly Matt is writing and I'm doing the art, like, Matt's had such an influence on design and I've given story notes and added jokes everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was such a dialogue like part okay part of the problem is some artists can't write sure uh some artists also can't even like engage socially <laughs> i thought you were gonna say some artists can't draw <laughs> some <laughs> artists can't draw but Such no like <laughs> um so I, I i had a uh have a bit of a leg up because during interviews i could mm-hmm. you know present myself relatively well next to matt in terms of like ideas and jokes and the letters page I could do that as well I can contribute signage and background jokes and um, brimping stuff like I can yeah, the I, porn the porn uh, run around the porn uh, <laughs> the family circus style yeah the family circus style porn panel really was the first thing that made me realize how much of a contribution you're doing there was like one panel the first time they walk into the porn shop um the, the panel of, of him as a child walking in, I counted it. There were 72 jokes in that panel. Nice. And that, that's a that's level. Yeah, it it is. reminds me, remember when Stoko was counting the penises he drew in one? Spread? Oh, in the spread, the two page spread. Yeah. I think it was 70 something penises. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Neck and neck. Damn. Veiny <laughs> neck and neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it becomes like automatic drawing. Like, right. so much of it is pun based. And I'm sure you're. Uh, you also feel the same way where the puns just kind of keep flowing yeah i feel i do a thing um sometimes they don't where, turn off no they don't turn off um uh, uh i do a thing where I, I come up with a list of several okay ones mm-hmm. and then you kind of let it go and and then you let yourself just kind of throw a bunch of garbage ones out there and then oftentimes the jokes you get better jokes is kind of the yeah. ones that you just like or even worse ones which is good too <laughs> really working it that's great yeah yeah um, so yeah, the I mean the the collaborative method by which we created the book and also promoted it and interacted with people helped that. I think a lot of artists don't want to do that, which is fair. Like, you know, I think a lot of artists become artists because they enjoy the process of doing the art. Sure. And that's pretty much it. Whereas writers, 
a lot of writers will have things they want to say to the world some are ego driven some are not but like um yeah so i think that's why there's that distinction unfortunately right do you think where do you think the like influence on your humor comes from is that any of that it's through comics um it's hard to narrow down for comics in high school i realized it's like a little too late uh i really loved kill your boyfriend mm-hmm like that was the book that I kind of like passed around to all my friends to try and get them into comics because he was like, well, it was just like it was like one issue, tight, funny, ballsy, and then uh, and then I realized later like oh it's about like a couple who have sex and go on a crime spree and I also talk to the audience which is sex criminals right but very very much a different tone because it's interesting yeah. because it's kind of like because that one's. Is it Morrison? Morrison, yeah. Morrison, Morrison and, and Bond, Bond yeah. yeah. And it's it's almost like it's kind of a mean comic in some mm-hmm. ways. Like it ends with them with with a woman like as a adult like poisoning her children or something. Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's dark. Yeah, it was interesting because it's not at all the direction that Sex Criminals goes in. No, I mean, a part and of also that not is, funny at all. <laughs> part part of part of that is our age as well. Like, you know, I did Prison Funnies when I was younger, and that's a darker comic. Mm-hmm. Like, there's horrible shit in that book. Um, and, you know, the newspaper stuff obviously is not like that. And Sex Criminals um, is just kind of well, playful, funny. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's evolved. I think Kids in the Hall was kind of my main comedy thing when I was younger. Like, right. my parents, for my birthday one year, actually got me, like, tickets to a taping of the show. And oh, I, like... And which was amazing that they did it because they thought Kids in the Hall was terrible. And they <laughs> it's also it was a very friendly comedy in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, it, did it make you gay in the end? No, but I had the conversation with my dad, where he, I came home from art school, you know, Thanksgiving weekend or whatever, and mm-hmm. I was playing show tunes at the piano, and <laughs> but that's what I like to do when I came home. Yeah. I didn't have the piano when I was like at school, and my dad was like. You know, come on over, come on over. And I'm like so excited because he never listens to me play piano. Right, like, finally I can talk to him about Liza Minnelli. I know. And then he just like, you know, gives me the speech about, you know, mom and mom and I have been talking. We just want to like let you know that if you're gay, it's totally cool. That's or nice. totally with you, which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But then it being a weird argument between me and my dad. My dad just kept insisting I was gay. Yeah. And I kept saying I'm not. And he's like, well, you love kids in the hall. You I go- love kids in the hall. Yeah. Robin, you're a bit of a Robin, you're a bit of a lesbian. I don't know if it's time to tell you this. <laughs> Robin's a soft butch. <laughs> you can't see this, but Brandon's actually rubbing my belly right now. Uh, soft butch <laughs> belly. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, I love kids in the hall. I was at art school. Right. That like, sounds kind of beautiful that your parents accepted you and you didn't even have to go through all. No. The, yeah. All the difficulties that the average gay teenager. Do you think you were a disappointment at that point? Were they kind of banking on having a <laughs> maybe gay a little? Son? I think they probably really built themselves up like this. Like this is going to be a big. Have weekend. you got siblings at all? Were you talking about it? Yeah, younger brother. Okay, yeah, because they're just like, we got grandkids set. Yeah, you be the already gay. He one. was the macho one for sure. Yeah. He was the one with the tools with my dad. I was the one drawing by myself in my There's room. There's still time. You can. There's still time. Yeah. Sexuality's fluid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where we're at. I don't want Chip to keep his options open. I don't know why. There's still uh, the Speedo actor out there somewhere. <laughs> we're going to go wander up Davy Street after this interview is done. Mm-hmm.
Yeah. Um, now, going from um, Six Criminals, and I think Keptara came next. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like just unleashing everything. Yeah. That was like realizing I had a bit of a license to create stuff at Image, and that I should take advantage of that as quickly as possible before people become sick of me. And Kagan, it had been so long since he'd done comics. Like, it had been a few years since right. Into Kung Fu, and he'd been kind of working on, like, a nonfiction thing in the background, but wasn't quite getting into it. And um, My favorite memories from being in the studio was all of us, was passing around group sketchbooks and, like, just trying to continue the joke and outdo each other. And Kagan was the master. Like, every drawing he did was so funny, so yes. well done. And I just wanted a chance to kind of let him just kind of go crazy. And, uh, and that was Captara. Before we were talking about Captara, and, and, and my kind of shorthand read of it was just that it was the He-Man universe with a gay character showing up. Yeah. And how, was that, was that your intention initially? Um, the intention was, I had an idea for a book where, like when you're a kid, and you would play with your action figures and your toys, like there was no purity of universe there. Mm-hmm. Like if you had He-Man figures and Star Wars figures mm-hmm. and X-Men figures or whatever, they would play together, like yeah. be Wolverine chopping up Optimus Prime or whatever. Um, uh, but also I like the idea of Eternia from He-Man being a planet, mm-hmm. but there's a very specific part of that planet like where all this action takes place. Like what if all the other areas of that planet were the other types of toys uh-huh. so it's kind of like a patchwork planet of toys uh, so there'd be like an island of my little ponies or right. um, you know a continent of transformers and the idea was that you'd bring a character to the planet and it'd be a wizard of oz style adventure as you kind of go and collect characters and encounter characters um, but the he-man stuff was so fun and so kind of unlimited with what you could do yeah. with it like that last two page spread of like 80 something characters mm-hmm. that Kagan and I just kind of like riffed on and came up with like they're they could all easily be He-Man characters yeah. all of them and they're it's like how do you so overdo fun. a He-Man character too once you've got like Fistor or whatever <laughs> just like we what bought Fistor is a giant fist he's a giant fist my favorite was there was a um, there was a contest where like kids could come up with their own He-Man characters uh-huh. and you had to vote on them and um, one of the ones and I guess I think it was Bruce Tim that actually drew these like oh, nice. he was like a staff illustrator yeah. or something I just came up with the name for Fistor's sibling too oh god Sistor oh, Jesus <laughs> just so you know we're pushing Brandon off a bridge uh, later today alright that's how you Funny uh, thing that's about how you Sistor, open Van not trans yeah. at all no hmm. it was a little, little double entendre there god uh, anyways, one of one of one of the characters pitched was called Netta, and uh-huh. it was just a net with a wig and beautiful <laughs> eyelashes and lipstick, nice. and I love it so much. And it, it's even popped up, I think, in the comic book. Like it's an actual character in the Masters of the Netta? Universe universe, Netta. It's beautiful. Like they, yeah, there's so many crazy ones. So you can't you can't go too far with it. And it just feels unlimited. So, how was the response from gay readers? Um, good. The uh, like we we kind of did a thing where when you consider writing a character who isn't necessarily you, mm-hmm. like 
Uh, in this case, he was Indian and gay. Um, you know, he's based on friends of uh, myself and Kagan and family members. But um, I think the problem a lot of people kind of run into in those kind of depictions is placing it in society. So by removing the character from society, I feel like it kind of like took a lot of the weight of it off of us mm -hmm. because we wanted to make sure that the planet he ended up on, there was no sexism or racism. Right. There wasn't anything holding him back anymore. So it was more about somebody trying to kind of like exhale and... Right, but also showing that he came from that initially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it takes away a bit of the pressure of that. Like I couldn't, I couldn't write a book that was about that character solely on Earth right. and encountering prejudices and dealing with kind of upbringing stuff. Well, I thought it was really interesting too in the way that the um, oftentimes in comic books, when especially when like a queer male, male character is introduced, yeah, they will play against any stereotypical things and be like, "This guy's especially macho," and clicks all the boxes that like a heterosexual hero would have, but also he's gay. Mm -hmm. And I liked that you didn't midnighter. Yeah, exactly. Midnight is just like gay Batman, which also makes him less creepy, which is interesting. Makes um, Batman less creepy? If you, Batman's yeah, yeah. gay, suddenly you're just like, oh, that's less weird. Yeah. Like, now it's why he's hanging out with that flexible young man. Um, but but I, I liked that the character, like, I can't think of any characters in kind of mainstreamish comics where it's just like, this is kind of a, a weak, effeminate, like a physically weak, effeminate gay man, mm -hmm. and also who we're rooting for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, we wanted to develop... I mean, we're still kind of working on it. Kagan's taking a bit long with issue six, but, you know, building a romance between him and one of the other characters um, to kind of show, like, variations of, um, of kind of love interest for him. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's an interesting one to write because he's, he's clearly friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And you know you worry about leaning into uh, stereotypes, but you also worry about like trying to like wash things away. Yeah. Be, like what you're saying, like oh this guy's just me, but he's gay. Uh huh. I'm like oh, okay, you know, sure that works, but um, feels a bit too uh, safe and maybe yeah. Yeah, there's something know. about making like you know a minority character as like perfect. You know, mm -hmm. you're just like that's not a person anymore. That's yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's definitely a tricky thing, and we knew it going in too. Like I didn't want to make it just me and Kagan, mm -hmm. you know, wandering around this planet. Like that didn't seem to fit the tone of what we were going for. Uh, and we liked the idea of somebody removing any kind of restrictions from a person. Yeah, and who's going to enjoy planet. the human universe more than a gay dude? Well, yeah, that's the, that's, the, <laughs> that's the other thing. We had gay friends tell us, like, oh, yeah, like, those He-Man figures were, like... Right. That was, like, an awakening for me, you know, when I was younger. You know, it's interesting, because you put a, you put a heterosexual man. dude yeah. in the Barbie universe, doesn't enjoy it. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, this, this might be completely uh, off kilter and everything, I was thinking the other day how weird it was that Britney Spears was almost... Her image, when she first came out, was almost entirely marketed to straight men. But if you listen to her album, then you're, then you're a gay guy. And how weird that was. It's just like, yeah. what are you guys doing? I know. Yeah. Because you're a lesbian. Soft butch. <laughs> I'll have you know we're in my office and we have a whole pronoun chart sitting right behind you. Mm -hmm. Look, there you are. Fourth one down on the left. Soft butch. <laughs> Good God. 
ruining your office story. <laughs> Pushing you off a bridge. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Captara is like insanely fun and you know, there's a there's a path for the character, all the characters in that, and I'm just hoping that uh, we can put more issues out. I think Kagan realized how hard it is to do a monthly comic. Oh yeah, of course. Like he's like probably the most in demand Canadian illustrator. Really? Like he does tons of work and uh, you know, to make the decision to, you know, do the spot illustration of a yoga pose for a magazine for, you know, thousand bucks versus doing, you know, a page of seven or eight illustrations with yeah. consistent backgrounds and characters interacting while telling a story for half that or third that or yeah do you feel like That's your hard. work is do you feel like do you feel a pressure of kind of the demand to get work done quickly uh again the newspaper stuff helped because mm-hmm. i had to do it every day like it was a daily deadline there was an editor that worked there that likened it to he said the newspaper was like being on an airplane that's coal powered and you have to keep shoving coal in uh-huh. or it crashes <laughs> and you have to do that forever and that's the case like there's no such thing as a skip day on the newspaper yeah. for Christmas I guess a couple holidays here and there but then once you get to level of success so you start at 9-11 9-11 <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> too soon Robin too soon full circle um. so I mean I'd like the uh, the kind of the daily pressure um, really helps with comics. But do you allow yourself for breaks and no. the sanity? Not really. That's kind of an issue right now. Like, because you reach, I imagine you reach level of success now where you don't have to. The story I told on the panel mm-hmm. to uh, many laughs about. Uh, oh yeah, no, I took that as deadly serious. It was deadly serious. Well, I don't know the story, so <laughs> you're gonna share it. I think it was David Brothers like posed the question like, you know, you guys do comics, but do you do anything, you know? Beyond that, for like your downtime, like well, how do you like keep things fresh by doing other things? Like you know, Charlie Adler's in his rock band. Um, what you call it, the Rocking Dead? The Rocking Dead. <laughs> um, and they get to me, and I said, you know, it's funny he mentions it because earlier that day in the morning, I came in from my studio into the house. I stood in the kitchen where my girlfriend was, and uh, I started to cry from anxiety over the amount of work I need to do and she had to hold me for 10 minutes while I just let it out and that's never actually happened like that's like that's that's not like I do that every day she's not like looking at their watch like fuck it's 11 (laughs) o'clock put down whatever I'm doing because in comes Chip but it's true like everything just kind of hit I'm just like oh my god like I'm just I'm shoveling coal and everything's catching up and I need to so now you reach a point of, of maybe reassessing. Yeah. But it's hard to turn certain things down. Oh, yeah. And there's also the, the thing with sex criminals is it generates more, more, th- more things to do and opportunities. That you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, let's yeah. do that with this. And let's, let's try and make the next issue like five times bigger. I was on change a panel formats. with a guy that, that said his plan was to every year do more than last year. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, whatever that guy's doing, I want to do the opposite of it. Yeah. Like, I also have a thing where if I'm not working, I'm depressed. Mm. Like, uh, when I do go, all right, I'm taking a day off, I literally don't know what to do with that day. Right. My friends have hobbies, and I think something happened where um, it just got away from me, and now I don't have any hobbies. So is that difficult on a social level as well? Um, yeah, I mean, there's the... 
there's also the thing of the older you get, the less you hang out with friends. Right. Like, it's just like a, this natural thing. Friends, you know, have families and crazy jobs and everyone moves away. So there's less kind of socializing, for sure. Um, I'm able to, like, I, do, I don't do all-nighters. I don't do anything like that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, come 7, 8 o'clock, whatever, like, I'm definitely done. I can go out for a drink, whatever, and like not That's think about it. But I had a, a moment on a panel in TCAF too, where they're just like, "Is it hard like separating your your?" Um, it was something about like, what like they were like, "Don't work with your friends." They were saying, and I had this horrible moment where I was just like, "I don't have friends that I don't work with. I don't have friends that don't do." It's tricky. Be it becomes your social life. Yeah. Like, I mean, you kind of realize, especially doing shows, like you're traveling all over the country and the world, and like you're seeing. You're seeing your friends in all these spots, yeah. but yeah, I don't even see them when I'm in Toronto. If they're Toronto people, right? Like, it's that weird thing. We don't do that much together anymore. Oh yeah. Do we need to talk? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jeez. I was saying we're still friends. Oh yeah, yeah. But we've like yeah. we've not, done a couple of interviews today. My my friendship on someone is not contingent on how much I work with them. It's just, it seeps into it. You have some friends you work with a lot, like Simon and Farrell. Sure. Yeah. Just saying. I used to have one friend that I would brag about being my one friend who doesn't uh, do comics. Yeah. And he just uh, quit his job as a, as a, um, what was he, a biologist, scientist. Oh, Shannon. Nazi war criminal, one of those things. <laughs> yeah, he, he got mad at me about saying that German soldiers in World War II were Nazis. Yeah. Oh, dare you. <laughs> Wait, if Are German they? soldiers in World War II weren't Nazis, what were Nazis? Just some of the German soldiers? <laughs> we, he, he was our driver on our road trip to L.A., and we oh, had some deep late-night conversations oh, while here. listening to Coast to Coast. A lot of oh, mention of no. Nazis this interview, Chip. <laughs> does None we, of it started by Does me. your girlfriend call you Chip? Uh, well, it's, it's interesting because um, she refused. Mm -hmm. Like, just outright refused to call me Chip. Um until recently where she's had to because she comes with me to conventions mm -hmm. and help so out. ask for Steve and people are like, who? Yeah, like I don't respond to Steve at shows. Oh, right. Like my little brother came Someone with me. yelling at you, Steve, Steve. Yeah, yeah, my brother was yelling at Steve at me at San Diego uh -huh. to get my attention. I'm just sitting there drawing for somebody and as soon as he said Chip, I was like, what, what, who, where? Like it's, it's a weird shift and like people are calling my girlfriend Mrs. Zadarsky. Are you Mrs. Zadarsky? Right. Are you Chip's, Chip's wife? <laughs> I met your parents and I think I, I called them the Zadarskys. Yeah, they, they, made, well. they made reserved seats for them, reserved for Mr. and Mrs. Zadarsky. And they love it. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, your parents seem to be very amused by the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah. Oh, there's also Todd Diamond. Yeah. <laughs> there's also Todd What's Diamond. What's Todd Diamond? Is that like your... That's, that's Chip's Chip Zadarsky after dark. After dark. No, I you get dark, dirtier? Dark ski. I wanted to do a thing at the newspaper, because they kept pushing us to do video. Like, video is going to save newspapers. I don't know. They, they made more money off the ads, off videos, than they did in the paper. So, uh, without telling them, I got together with, like, a video editor, and we made um, a video for the financial side of the paper called uh, Todd Diamond Finance Sense, where I would play this character, Todd Diamond, who I was going to get you rich. Um, but as like as it goes on, like it's quite clear that I'm like recently divorced and I have no custody of my son and uh, I have no money so like, right now. <laughs> so so we basically did that and I, I gathered around the publisher and the editor in chief, the managing editor, and we just like hit play and I just like sat the back, just, like giggling to myself. And they're like, "We love it. Do more." 
Nice. And so uh, we did like seven or eight of them. That's what kind of led into doing like the my mayoral campaign as well. Like, yeah, the stuff we get away with is just ludicrous. And it's a weird thing. Todd Diamond is such a strange uh, piece of the Jim uh, Starsky legend or whatever. Uh, I ended up getting a financial advisor a few years ago. And at some point, it came up that I did this thing. Like, oh, yeah, I did this thing for the post called Todd Diamond. He's like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then he uh, emailed me the next day. Like, I told some of the guys here at the uh, financial advisor house or whatever. And one guy freaked out. He said, like, Todd Diamond is, like, my password on my computer. Like, I <laughs> like it, it hit That's a very awesome. specific. computer now. Yeah, it hit a very specific, like, Bay Street. Right. Uh, he was like, I was recently divorced and didn't have any money, and I, that guy just spoke to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yet. So weird and sad. Yeah. Yeah, good old Todd Diamond. I always wanted to do more of them, but uh, there's just no time to... Do you think you'll have any more pen names come up? Would it, would it, would it make sense in comics? I think about it. You use pen names sometimes in sex criminals, right? Or is it always Starsky? Um, I think it's always Zdarsky. There's, I had a character, Steve Maxwell, from a few years ago. He was the one, I, I started to do, like, kids' textbook illustrations, and he made us, like, sign these forms that said that we've never done anything pornographic. Okay. And, uh, and I signed it, I sent it in, but I guess they, like, Googled, and they saw the link between Steve Murray and Chip Zdarsky, and there's mm -hmm. no way, there's no way. So I had to come up with a third name, Steve Maxwell. So there's a few things out there with that name. MC Champagne is my DJ name. Oh, nice. So, what, you, what, what kind of music do you DJ? I'm mostly country. Nice. And when you do hardcore, it's MC Real Pain? Hardcore country? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had I love pseudonyms. Driven up by Bortat from Seattle Airport last year. What did you make us listen to? Uh, Toby Keith, I believe. Mm. For three hours. It's like, that's like glam country. That's a whole new... I used to have a rule. I lived in a house with a bunch of it was this very weird apartment in new york the idea was when you left you had to replace yourself with someone more interesting than you which means that everyone living there was um a lot of professional clowns and stand-up comedians yeah um <laughs> i replaced myself with the fool richardson when i left who was um she's still in comics but she she was doing porn comics and r&b singing at the time wow which i believe outranked me that's a solid combo right there. yeah so i was really proud of that but um I have too many stories about that. What, what we were talking about? Uh, country music. Oh yeah, country music. We had a rule that we would only watch uh, BET or CMT, or the only things the television was allowed to, to play in the house, and it kept us pure. Wow. Uh, so a lot of that era was like... I kind of want to see that house now. It was beautiful. Well, the great thing that came out of it um, is the professional clowns that I lived with. My older brother, for some reason, had also fallen into the gang of professional clowns, but his clowns, <laughs> <laughs> his clowns were like art clowns. Okay. They were like, you know, guys who like... Took like his, French clowns? No, they're just like, well, there's a thing called, I think it was called Bread and Puppet out there that... Anyways, there's a whole thing. He had like like art school. Those, those two words are uh, totally innocuous, but as soon as you put them together, bread and puppet. I know. Like, that just sounds gross. I don't I know. know why. Just like a bready puppet just oh. coming towards you. Like Kermit trying to make out with you, but what's that? It's a croissant coming out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the great thing is his he had snob clowns that looked down on my clowns mm. 
and they would say, because a lot of the people that I lived with, it was a pretty big house, and a lot of the guys that I lived with would, um, would uh, they do cruise ships, yeah. like to they they leave for a couple months and, and like be the entertainment on a cruise ship. Yeah. And my brother's clowns heard about this, and they were like, "That's so birthday party," and I loved the idea of clown hierarchy. So the best part of that is that could totally be shifted over to comics. Oh yeah, totally. Snob clowns. I and had a birthday recently. party clowns. So the thing that we were talking about, <laughs> I, I, I'm working on a um, like a, a really ridiculous kind of bosom buddies remake mm-hmm. pitch that's never going to happen. No one will ever hear of it. Past me making jokes about it, and I was trying to explain it to a woman that I'd gone to breakfast with at one of the Emerald City cons, just kind of a friend of a friend. Yeah. And uh, she was a writer of Catwoman. Okay. And as I was explaining my take on bosom buddies, I could just see her just like, just <laughs> disapproval, just like steaming <laughs> off of her. And I found it hilarious because like, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to like explain myself and correct things because I loved the idea of the writer of like sexy cat lady, like looking down her nose at the work that I was doing. <laughs> Stop clowns and birthday clowns. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So birthday. <laughs> so birthday. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's an easy trap to fall into. I'm constantly, like, I feel like I have a part of my brain that forgets my own work sometimes. Mm. And I'll be, like, ranting about, like, the purity of the art and everything. And then someone will be like, hey, will you sign this sexy schoolgirl porn comic you've done? And be like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Anyway, I was talking about, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's far Don't as, sacrifice it's, your morals. It's, yeah. it's hard not to fall into comic camps. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you, is that something you feel that you avoid or just transcend? Transcend? Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a weird position to be in right now. Like doing both Marvel and Sex Criminals and Captara, like um, because I mean, those those lines get a lot more blurred now, though. Like, but you're very much in your own lane too. It's not like there's yeah, it's not like there's another kind of. Like comedy, even in mainstream comics, is is harder to come by. Yeah, or just fun. Like the, oh yeah, fun. That's fun. Yeah, fun. That's not. I had a comic books. Yeah, like I I just love doing fun books, um, and it does seem to be a bit of a rarity mm-hmm. right now, especially in mainstream. I think there's some fun stuff happening outside, but like um, it's always interesting. The tendency people... is always like you know if you're doing. A Marvel or DC book, like yeah. go dark. Which is interesting because that's been going on for twenty years now. And when people, I find it really fascinating. 30. Like thirty, yeah, I find it really fascinating the idea of like when Frank Miller did Dark Knight Two. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was his attempt to kind of like, oh, I changed comics so much with the first Dark Knight. Let's roll it back and do this yeah, one. Yeah. And it's just such, just no, had no effect whatsoever. I, just, I'm like one of the rare people that loves. Oh, it's great. Dark Knight Two, like. Yeah. It's so fun. I like it's obviously like it. Miller finally yeah, yeah. found it somewhere to like channel all those psychedelic drugs he took in the eighties and just like here's an outlet. Yeah, I don't I don't think it holds together, but like there's even bits with the coloring that I love. Like it's when Barley on that one, she was just like, I'm coloring with a computer. Why would I try to make it look like anything else? Right. Which I, I respect in theory. Yeah. <laughs> and then in practice it's just like, What are you doing, woman? <laughs> Yeah. whatever she wants yeah yeah that's like just like them just like losing their minds and doing whatever yeah it's there's, so bizarre so much fun weird I really would there. love to travel the first thing is this is such a waste of a time machine if I went a hundred years <laughs> in the future I'd just be like what What do you guys think of the Dark Knight 1, 2, and 3 
<laughs> well, they're just like, what, we're, was the, po- the apocalypse happened. We don't have books anymore. We burn them so we can fry rat over oh, them. Oh, don't worry, I brought some. Here. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they called a master race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I love having fun in comics. So I think that, that keeps me weirdly on the outside of things. Have you, do you feel like you've attempted doing, is there, have you, do you have any work that you think of as, or could you see yourself doing work that's just straight, so serious? Um, because there's certainly elements of that in all of your other work. Yeah, there's, there's, Sex Criminals gets pretty hearty at times. Yeah, even like, even Howard the Duck, like there's a few issues of that. Like one of my favorite things to do is to do like the joke book and then all of a sudden there's like a serious thing that happens, because that makes a serious thing feel more serious. Yeah. Um, like I have ideas for books kind of down the line that would move more serious but um, you know one of the conversations I've, I've had with editors of Marvel where they're just like you know do you see yourself doing more like straight up Marvel stuff like superhero serious superhero stuff and I was like well if I'm doing it it's not going to be serious like that's just like the natural tendency like I'm going to put jokes in and have fun with it wherever I go. And plus Marvel, I imagine it's like not where that place would be. Maybe, maybe not. Like, Howard was... Howard of it, it seems. Yeah, (laughs) Howard was fun. Star-Lord was fun. Spider-Man's been fun. Like, um, yeah, I'd I'd like to keep that trend going. Yeah. So what kind of shows do you have coming up? Are you going to any cons or are you going to take a break after this? This is like my fourth week in a row I think of doing things um, so you're just going to curl up in a hot tub after this yeah. <laughs> uh, I got Heroes Con that's like Matt and Kelly Sue's kind of like hometown show so I like to go with them for that mm. have you done Heroes? no I never have is that in Portland? no it's in Charlotte okay and it's uh, it's one of those like it's like my favorite type of show because it's comics yeah like there's no celebrities or anything like that it's just pure comics it's like TCAP but you know with all the dealers kind of intact um, nice and uh, yeah I love that show because it's it's such a focus on on art like, and the barbecued food's gotta be amazing yeah and Matt knows the good places so it's it's pretty fantastic so yeah I'm doing that show I'm not doing San Diego I don't particularly like San Diego yeah I've given up on San Diego as well I yeah like I went I went years ago Again, like twelve years ago, whatever, with the uh, the raid studio because mm-hmm. we were promoting books raid, and stuff. Raid. <laughs> and I went a couple years ago for the Eisners. But even then, it was just like two days. Like mm-hmm. get in, get out. Last year, I did the full five days at the table, and I did that mostly because they offered to bring my brother too, and like he's a nerd. And he just loves like going oh, nice. to Hall H and watching the Batman versus Superman panels. And did stuff. you have your own table, or was it an image? I have my own table, and the best part is it's, like, located by the door, like, on the farthest possible side. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd have to walk, like, half an hour to get there. And so when the doors open, there'd be a stampede of people trying to get past me yeah. to get to the Funko booth at the back because they, they had, like, <laughs> oh, the, the rare Funkos yeah, yeah. or whatever. And uh, so I just, like, I'd stand on my chair just, like, watching people just, like, holding their babies over their heads, like, <laughs> running around. Like, running with the bulls. Yeah, it's just crazy. This is straight out of another freaking comic. Yeah, yeah. But the also, I... I think Bill's stuff. It is, sure. but I also completely get it, because if you're traveling to San Diego... Yeah. It costs you money, 
if you get a couple of those Funkos, you can sell those and make back your trip, right. which I think is what a lot of people end up doing. Like huh. whenever you see those kind of rare things at a show, like it's to fund the trip you are Such currently a bizarre, on. Um, overlap and things about what has been like 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 tied to fan culture I guess and I guess that's almost the difference between conventions is like what's about art and what's about fan culture yeah yeah it's it's uh, strange times of like it's weird for, for me to have like my friends have kids and the kids are into Star Wars and the parents yeah. are into Star Wars. Like, it's the first time that's really kind of happened. Like, my dad didn't have anything like that. Yeah, that's really... I mean, I have... Because he wasn't marketed to on that level. My parents are into comics, which is weird for me. Okay. Um, like, underground stuff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. My mom had a letter published in Spider-Man. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I have a friend who actually, like, his daughter listened to the same music as him. Mm. She, like, because he was saying, like, yeah, kids these days, they just find it all on YouTube, so they don't even know what era it's from. Yeah. And I took that as, he took it as, like, isn't this crazy? And I took it as, like, you listen to the 16-year-old girl music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, when I was in high school, there were the, the Zeppelin kids. Yeah. And that just seemed like, you know, they were into stuff from, like, forever ago. Yeah. But it's still farther than Nirvana or the grunge stuff that I was listening yeah. to would be for a teenager. But, and I see teenagers, you know, walking around with Nirvana shirts on. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, I guess that's their Zeppelin. But even still, like farther yeah. into the past than Zeppelin was to me. Yeah, that's really weird. That's I a the strange thing. But also the weird thing about like Star Wars fan culture is that the parents and the kids, I imagine, are like waiting in line to see it together. Where the yeah. difference is, you wouldn't have, you know, like, like when I talk to my father about underground comics, he's like, "Oh, Spain Rodriguez, I remember him." <laughs> he's not going to the comic store because the new Empowered is out with me, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think my dad's into anything. No. Yeah. Maybe Just that's what's children. To me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not into anything anymore. I have that's no good. hobbies because uh, my father's son. Oh my god. Oh Jesus. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, he's a sturdy dad. I met him. He is a sturdy dad. Yeah. I love him dearly. I kept thinking when I met your mother. I kept thinking of the panel we were on, where you decided that <laughs> we were going to talk about influences, and every time influences would come up, you just would say mommy. It's like, well, mommy always told me. <laughs> Well, the best was at the Eisners when we when we won for Sex Criminals and we rushed up to the stage and um, my speech basically thanked mom, mommy mm-hmm. uh, who taught me how to draw at like an early age dildos mostly just mommy teaching me to draw dildos <laughs> and I, I think I said the word dildos like thirteen times like <laughs> just looking at the front row of Will Eisner's widow or whatever yes. <laughs> staring at me. That's actually what killed Eisner. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm really, like, they're never inviting us back yeah, for any of this. The, no way. When I got the Eisner for King City, I was really, um, I really wanted, this is my hope that will never happen. Oh, God. I just wanted Rob LaFell to go up there dressed as Sasha Littlefeather and turn down the award with the exact same speech that she gave <laughs> oh, about the treatment of Native Americans <laughs> in and it's one of those things where, like, no one would have gotten the joke, but yeah, it would yeah. have actually killed me from There would be, like, three or four people that would have gotten yeah. it. But you they had would... a lot of people just outraged that Rob's, like, dressing in First Nations attire. Just oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would have been, been worth it. That would have been <laughs> the least regretful thing I'd ever done in my entire life if it happened. That's, that's strong. Yeah, think about that. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm about to get a no, non-compliant tattoo on my butt that we the deal we just made nice. the other day. Do you, uh, what did what did you do with your Eisner? Uh, it's in storage right now. Storage, nice. I like. I have. I have like an award shelf that I just. 
it was really funny. I had a really like embarrassing like middle aged divorce guy basement apartment recently. Okay. And um, and I had like <laughs> like I had a medal they'd given me in Italy. And like oh, a bunch of the Luca, the Luca yeah, medal, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Which is another weird thing. I was given the Luca medal immediately after I just gotten chastised by um, Brian Azzarello for calling his, his book a garbage fire. This <laughs> um, <laughs> most <laughs> awkward meeting I ever had with someone. He, like, I think you said more than that about Mr. Azzarello. I said it was a garbage fire, and then someone said it was me, and I was like, "You're right. A garbage fire gives out heat." <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. So for some reason, this asshole didn't like me. So there you are in your basement apartment with all your awards. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about that time. Yeah. <laughs> this I'll show them all. <laughs> and it's really funny because like, I'll have um, friends would come over and be like, oh, this is your embarrassing basement divorce apartment. And I'd be like, yeah. And I'd put a medal on him. <laughs> Here, you hold an Eisner. I refused. I never yeah. saw it. Fair. Yeah. I don't know where the story is going, except for as a mix of shame and regret. I, uh, <laughs> but I, I got an award. There's a little pride in there too. Yeah. What does what are your where does your Eisner live? I lost it. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> so I did Zadarskon, uh-huh. um, which was me and the beguiling like setting up uh, out front of Fan Expo in Toronto on a trolley, and Peter from the beguiling uh, brought his power tools because we had a. Um, we had like a nightstand table that was uh-huh. like kind of next to me on this this trolley, uh, but the Eisner Award we drilled in to the bottom, oh, nice. so we could get it to like to stay there while they pulled me around. Um, at some point, it fell off and it dented the globe part, dented. Oh, nice. I'm like, oh, that's a shame. We got it back up it there. It spins. That's my favorite part of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And like that's what I'd bring people up to spin the Eisner yeah. while I did sketches for them. And uh, yeah, at some point, it must have been in the rental van. Uh-huh. It rolled out. And I never bothered to call the rental van place because they won't listen. They won't return my calls, and I'm just like, why can't it just be a giant picture of Ebony's head? <laughs> you like Eisner or not? Come on. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't follow up to try and get it back because I like the idea of somebody renting the van uh-huh. and then being like, "What's this?" And they pick up a, an award that just says "sex criminals" on it <laughs> <laughs> with no clue as to what that pertains to. I'm like, "That's a better home, a dented statue in a rental, like one of those white vans." Someone's too. gonna be so traumatized. <laughs> so silly. You like leave a mattress in there or something. Someone, yeah. someone rents it and it's just like. Hey, my cousin. My cousin just needs a place to crash. He's gonna. Go. <laughs> He's got his sex criminals award. I think we should report Dylan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I no longer have it. I've been told you can like contact the Eisners and get replacements for them. But um, that would be great to do and just keep pretending to lose it. Until you have, like, <laughs> an entire shelf of Eisners that are all for the one time you want. Yeah. Just like destroy a hotel room and just leave yeah. that in the bed. Yeah. That'd be good. Or just constantly just keep leaving Eisner's place. Oh, whoops! I dropped my seven awards. Sorry. I got, um, uh, I turned down the Harvey Award, not last year, but the year before, mm-hmm. because they nominated me and not Matt for Sex Criminals. Oh, right, right. And, uh, apparently that made them angry. But the following year, I was nominated for Howard the Duck, and, uh, I got Mark Wade to accept the award and give a speech kind of making fun mm-hmm. of the whole situation, and then Mark kept the award. And has like just been touring the world with it, oh, and nice. like giving it to friends whenever they go to other countries. So it's just like photos of my Harvey Awards That's all over nice. the place, like a like an Amelie gnome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I told him in an email, I'm like, uh, I don't want, ever want to receive that yeah. again. Like it's too funny for it to just be gone. I said, um, 
you should, uh, in your will, uh, leave it to Chip Kid. <laughs> <laughs> like you're just about to write this wrong on your deathbed. That's beautiful. But then it goes to another Chip. Which would be great. I love that Chip Kid is responsible for uh, Tagame's work being in English. You know, the, the oh. ball torture manga yeah, yeah. artist. Yeah. How that happened? He was uh, really obsessed with his stuff. Yeah. And he couldn't get in touch with Tagame uh, to try and get English rights to it. Okay. And so he got a translator he knew to just translate a bunch of stuff for him to read. That must be a weird conversation. For like his personal space. Yeah, because you're basically saying like, hey, uh, so I hear you translate stuff from from the Japanese. Um... Here's some stuff I'd like to masturbate to, but I'm having a little part-time uh, figuring it out. I would like to bring you into my jerk chain here, if you will. <laughs> so I, nice. I slip you a 20, you, you help me with a little bit of business so I can do a little business down the road. I think it's nice. It's like hiring an yeah. artist to draw like a sexy pinup for you. Like It's like that kind of weird level yeah. where like, you're too... Like, two dudes that may not necessarily be into the same thing, but one dude is technically getting the other dude off. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It um, was a woman that did the translating. Oh, it was a woman? Oh, well, there you go. Well, that, that's kind of the exact same thing. Because if he's a gay guy and a woman's... Then it's bringing someone who's... You're not interested in sexually into your arousal... Dome? Into your jerk dome. Into your masturbatory. I had the, I had the one thing... So in Qatar, like the idea, like I said before, was the world was free of racism mm-hmm. and sexism because they banished... Or they were self-banished. These Smurf-like creatures, the Glomps, uh-huh. represented all that terrible stuff. Oh yeah. And there's like one scene where they talk about how like they do drawings for each other to like to masturbate to. Right. And that's just based on like all friends of mine who are like these like straight dudes who like do these sexy drawings and they post them and like everybody loves them and I'm like you know you're getting off other guys right like you keep going on about how super straight you are. Right, maybe it's a paying it forward thing where you Maybe like, it's a paying Dave it forward. Dave Stevens thing. did some great stuff for me to jerk off to before. I'm gonna like I'm gonna do what I can. Yeah. I've never masturbated to a cartoon or a comic. Not even like the pink cat and Garfield? <laughs> no. no. What well, hear me out. With the sexy giant lips. What about what about Cleo from Cadillac Cats? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. No. With the leg no. warmers. No. Uh, Chitara from Thundercats. You can keep listing. I'm only well, all list you're cartoons. doing is just listing things that now I know you've masturbated. <laughs> <I'm> only listing. <laughs> I only want to list cartoon cats here. What about Top Cat? <laughs> so thanks for taking the time to come oh, yeah. to us today, Chip. Uh, yeah, thanks uh, for having normal. me. Normal. Normal. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, we've been chatting with Chip Sadarsky, and his latest work can be found in the pages of Spider-Man. And what else you got coming out? Sex Criminals. Sex Criminals. Issue 19 is the next one. Issue 19, a couple weeks, yeah. Oh. So Captara, you said, is starting Captara, yeah. Kagan's been drawing away, so we want to get a few more issues in the can before we solicit again. Yes. As is the image way. Smart How do you me. feel about the Disney Robin Hood fox? He is sexy. Mm-hmm. I've never masturbated to him. Okay. But, like, I 100% understand everyone's right. attraction to that fox. I had a, a conversation with someone recently about if that character counts as furry, and I was like, it doesn't matter. That guy's just sexy. <laughs> hunk of fox. But it is furry. Anyways. Yeah. Thank you, Chip, for coming. Hey, thanks Brandon. for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Fuckable <laughs> <laughs> Robin Hood.